Welcome to the Unite Church podcast. For more information about Unite Church, visit unitechurchak.org. Now enjoy this message from Josh Tanner. It's important where we put our feet. Joni was just prophesying it just a second ago. He's telling me it's important where we put our feet. And it's important who put, <clears throat> who put their feet somewhere first. And this is why uh, the honor of the First Nation peoples, wherever the First Nation is, here in Alaska, it's our Alaskan native folks, right? It, it matters who put their feet there first. And when people that put their feet there first begin to worship him, it makes it, it, it matters to the Lord. There's actually a special anointing there. And so I think about like if I went back to uh, Daneland, you know, where I'm from, and I put my feet there, like I want to do that. That's my homeland. I know I, we raided everybody and we pillaged and it was bad, but that's still my homeland. My people put their feet there first. And there's an altar for the Lord there for me. But you know what? God calls us to be foreigners in a strange land too and to make altars for him there. So it's about all of us learning to worship him where we're at and where we put our feet matters. Who we are when we put our feet there matters. And where God's people tread, where they go, they bring the presence of God. They bring breakthrough. They bring anointing. They bring transformation. They bring love. And they bring an altar with them. The eternal altar of God that lives inside of you and I, burning and burning with his presence and his power and his passion and his love for the world. That's the altar that God's called us to take with us and put our feet every where on this planet? Every tribe, every tongue, every village. It doesn't happen if you don't go. When we don't go, it stays dark. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. And I have made you a city on a hill that can't be hidden. I made you to be an altar for me that burns day and night and never burns out. When they lit the candlestick, or the, the, the candelabras inside of the holy place. They lit them, and then, and then when they would travel, they would, the, the, their, their task was to never let the fire burn out. It's kind, of, yeah, it's kind of amazing. Yeah, what are they called in there? Candle, yeah, they're the candlesticks, yeah, right. It sounded like it sounded cooler than that, but yeah. The lampstands. Why is that? I was forgetting that, okay. When they started burning those lampstands, they represent the power and the fire of the Holy Spirit that illuminated all of everything, especially the table of showbread, which was the bread of Jesus, the word of God. God brings everything and who he is to light when we allow the Holy Spirit to burn like fire inside of us. But this is an altar to the Lord, guys. This is an altar that God wants burning inside of our life. And it matters where we go. Altars, we were talking about how altars are for remembering God. And we talked about Joshua and the Jordan and going through and where he went through and he set up an altar for generations to remember what God had done when he split the sea. And then he also set up an altar where it happened. And last week we got to go down and I was preaching in Nikiski at my home church where I got saved the first time. And we brought a lot of the youth and we were sitting there in the youth center where I was able to tell them the story about when I got saved, where I got saved. A kid was sitting exactly in the spot where I got my first Bible. 
And, and we're driving out of the exact same little road where God filled me when I surrendered my life to him. It was so awesome. And I got to deliver and preach for the first time ever on that platform that I got saved, the, the church that I got saved. There was a guy sitting in the worship space, and I was like, sir, what's your name? And he goes, my name's Bob. I'm like, Bob, you are sitting one spot across from where I worship Jesus for the first time, and that matters to me. You could just feel the Holy Spirit. Where you show up, where you walk, where you burn for Jesus matters. And it's made to pass on for generations. And we heard uh, Zach preach last week. That guy's a freak. He's so good. And uh, I mean, what a message. If you didn't hear it, what a message. And just that our, when we take the resources God has entrusted to us and we use them for idols, they get wasted. But God has given us plunder from the world and resources to use to make altars for him. And God wants to do that so that we preserve the generations for Jesus. When we do that, we preserve the generations for Jesus. And our, alt, our offerings in those altar experiences are critical for the expansion and for the the, the legacy of the, of the kingdom of God going on through our lives. I've been thinking about this, that remembering what God has done is so critical. And I wrote this prayer, and so I'd like for you to just do this with me if you would. Just close your eyes for a minute and just, just listen to this prayer. God, remember when you slayed the giant? Remember when you brought water from the rock that saved us all? Remember when you split the water so that we could walk right through it on dry ground twice? Remember when you came to this earth to be like us, to save us? Remember when you walked among us and you loved us, healed us, touched us? Remember when you promised that you would take care of us and we didn't have to worry because you would provide for us and you did? Remember when you gave your life up for us on a cross, your body was broken, your blood was spilt out for the forgiveness of our sin, for the establishment of an eternal covenant between us. Remember when you saved me, you filled me with your love for the first time, met me when I was scared, you helped me through my darkest pain and regrets. Remember when you took me by the hand and you said, I'm your God. I'm exactly what you need. Now, because you have done all these things, and as I remember them, I make my heart and my lips an altar for your glory. You are great. You are king. You are savior. You are my provider. You are my everything. To you be the glory, the power, the honor forever and ever and ever. Amen. Amen. Come on. God wants to burn in your heart and make your heart an altar for him. And he wants to light the world on fire around. There is power when we make an altar in our hearts and with our lips. There is power in the kingdom that's released when we make an altar in our hearts. God, I remember what you did, and then we speak it out with our lips. 
the goodness of God, it will impact generations. Your life isn't just about now. It's about generations and it's about legacy. It's not about you. It's about expansion and legacy. And that's what God is doing in this hour. This is a prophetic word for our church today. God is doing this in this hour. It's literally happening right now among us. We talked about this, but you live an altered life. It's altered because it's changed because of what Jesus did, but then it's an altered life. It's a life that is a living altar that others get to see all the time about what God has done in you and he's doing through you. And so we don't have a private life with Jesus. Our private life becomes an altered life that is shifted and changed and then it's laid on the altar for all to see because we're a city on a hill. And that burning and that flame is what changes the world. And your life and my life is not, like Joni said, designed to shrink back from death, but to stand in the front and the face of all the bears in this world and all the fear and all the trouble and all the obstacles and to step right into it and see God just do a radical, radical miracle. We see in Exodus chapter 20, verse 24, says this, make an altar of the earth for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings, fellowship offerings, your sheep, goats, and cattle. Wherever I cause my name to be honored, I will come to you and bless you. If you make an altar of stones for me, do not build it with dressed stones, for you will defile it if you use a tool on it. Wow. Why is that? I see stuff like this and I go, huh, Lord, you don't do anything on accident. You do everything on purpose. Why are you saying these things on purpose? One, he says, build an altar. Honor me with this altar. Give offerings and sacrifices on this altar. In 2 Corinthians 5.20, the Bible says, therefore we are Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal through us. We implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. You and I are Christ's ambassadors. We're altar carriers. Look at 1 Peter 2.1. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. You see this? A maturing in the church is an expected thing. It's time for all of us to mature and drink the milk when you got to drink the milk. And then we start eating the solid foods. Eat the Cheerios when you eat the Cheerios. Right? And let's move on. Let's move on to meat. Let's move on to steaks. Right? Some are Rick steaks. Let's move on to really, really good steaks. But all of this causes us to grow. To be mature. Now, so this is 1 Peter 2, uh, verse 3. Now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. Mm, you got to taste it. Doesn't just happen. You have to go after. You have to consume. You have to pursue and eat of the Lord. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God as precious to him, you also 
like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For the scriptures say, See, I have laid a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now you who believe this stone is precious, to, this, to you who believe this stone is precious, this is Jesus, but to those who do not believe the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. The Bible also says he's become the capstone. He's the top. He's the foundation and he's the showpiece. He's the foundation and he's the altar that everyone gets to see. And a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which was also what they were destined for. See that everybody is destined for this message even when they fall? They had a purpose in God. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. You're an altar for Jesus. You're a living altar Once you were not a people, but now you are a people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Come on. God has made you a living altar. You you are not a rolling stone. You're a fixed stone. You're a fixed stone in a holy house, a spiritual house, Jesus is the cornerstone and the capstone of that house. And the reason that God said back way in the Old Testament, when you're going to build an altar, don't cut the stones. Don't put your hands on my stones. I made them, and I like them. I like all the shapes of my stones. I like the big stones. I like the really big stones. I like the little stones. I like the weird-looking stones. I like the white stones, I like the black stones, I like the orange stones, I like all the stones in between. It's not long and we're all going to be people of color. Like, it's happening. (laughs) You like look around and you're like, everybody, the most beautiful people are about to be born, folks. God just mixes it all up. I like my stones. And he wants a beautiful house that's built of all the different color shapes and sizes and none to be touched by our own hand. God does not want conformity. He wants unity. He doesn't want conformity. He's not asking you to look like the person next to you or me. Thank God. If there was like a thousands of me, the world would go insane. <laughs> it would be fun, though. It would be a lot of fun. <laughs> I would have fun. Well, look at all these people. <laughs> but God has fixed us on purpose as a living altar. All together, we are His spiritual house. How cool is that? Do not put your hands on your neighbor. Don't try to shape them into the shape you want them to be. God's saying, don't touch that. This stone that gets placed here, I made that stone in the earth. You pick it up and put it there. It's an altar that represents me. You, my kids, are now going to be my living altar. And I'm going to fit you together and fashion you just the way you are. I'm going to accept you warts and all, bumps and all, lumps and all, all the little weird things in your weird shaped rocks. And I'm going to fit them in. And all together, it's going to be cool. 
It's the fitting together that makes it cool. Because kind of when you look at the rock all by yourself, you're like, eh, that's not the coolest looking rock I ever saw. When you fit it all together, it's glorious. It's beautiful. And it's a house. It's a place where we can worship. It is a structure that others can lean on. It actually now has a purpose and a greater strength than a stone by itself. A greater purpose than a stone by itself. And our altars are not designed to be single altars. They're community altars. It's us together. Ephesians 5.1, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I've probably quoted it more than any other passage Follow God's example. Therefore, as dearly loved children and walk in the way of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. He's a burnt offering? Jesus is a burnt offering? Yep, he was a burnt offering. Look in Leviticus chapter 1, everybody's favorite verse in the whole Bible. Leviticus 1.1. Second most quoted Bible verse in the Bible. That's not true. That's called sarcasm. Okay. <laughs> this is a cool passage. If you want to understand what, what are all these altars built and how are they built and what they built for, the Lord called Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. Uh-oh. Hey. The tent of meeting is this cool place that I, I, don't, I don't even really know exactly how the tent of meeting got started. But the tent of meeting is a place that Moses set up to meet with God. It really was an altar where he would go meet with God. And the presence of God would show up in the camp and fill it. It was great. And everybody, when Moses would go to the tent of meeting, everybody would come out of their tents and they'd be like, there he goes. He's going to go talk to God like right now. And then they would watch and be like, dude, he's in there. <laughs> I mean, can you imagine just seeing that with our natural eyes. But you have a tent of meeting right in your pocket. It's in your heart. Your heart is a tent of meeting. And wherever you decide you want to go meet with him, you get to have that same meeting. And you know what happens? Is the people around, when the, when the Holy Spirit begins to descend on you, they look around and they go, whoa. Whoa. Just like Moses walking down, looking, they're like, something's happening. Something supernatural happens. Angels begin to rejoice. And you know who, who else sees those angels rejoice? The devil. And he gets scared. And he sees, whoa, 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 wait a second. There's something going on over there. I'm, gonna, I'm heading over there. Hey, you guys, get over there. Go find out what that person's doing. Doing something for Jesus. <laughs> the angels watch angels. Fallen angels watch Angels that are serving God in the spirit realm. And when we worship and people get saved and you make an altar for God, it sends a rejoicing in the heavenlies. Spiritual activity is released. You're not just wandering around. You're a burning altar, a tent of meeting, a place for God to meet. And where you decide that's going to happen, it matters. God's presence shows up and you begin to burn and the world begins to change and the enemy begins to get freaked out. But God is, meets with Moses, and in one of these times, in verse 2, it says, 
He says this to them, speak to the Israelites and say to them, when any of you bring an offering to the Lord, bring it, bring as your offering an animal from either herd of the flock. If the offering is a burnt offering from the herd, it is to offer, he is to offer a male without defect. He must present it at the entrance to the tent of meeting so that it will be acceptable to the Lord. He is to lay his hands on the head of the burnt offering and it will be accepted on his behalf to make atonement for him or forgiveness for sins. He is to slaughter the young bull before the Lord and then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall bring the blood and sprinkle it against the altar on the sides and of the entrance of the tent of meeting. He is to skin the burnt offering, cut it into pieces, okay? So they're going to kill it. Put their hand on it. Kill it, right? Offer it to the Lord. Then they're going to sprinkle it on the altar. And then they cut it up in pieces. And the sons of Aaron, the priests, are to put fire on the altar, and arrange the wood on the fire. Then Aaron's sons, the priests, shall arrange the pieces, including the head and the fat, on the burning wood that is on an altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to burn all of it on the altar. It is a burnt offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Doesn't that sound familiar? An aroma pleasing to the Lord, just like Ephesians 5. We offer our life as an aroma pleasing to the Lord. This is what it looks like, guys. It sounds a little gruesome. This is what it looks like. Dismemberment. The innards coming out. The blood being spilt. This is what an offering looks like. If an offering... Verse 10. If the offering is a burnt offering from the flock, from either the sheep or the goats, he is to offer a male without defect. He is to slaughter it at the north side of the altar before the Lord. And Aaron's sons, the priest, shall sprinkle the blood against the altar on the sides. He is to cut it into pieces, and the priest shall arrange them, including the head and the fat, and burning the wood altar. He is to wash the inner parts and the legs with water, and the priest is to bring all of it, in a bur- all of it and burn it on the altar. It's a burnt Offering, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Do you hear that's more than one way we can give an offering to the Lord? But all of these ways look like dismemberment, giving up the life, and it all being burned up. There's one really interesting part is that they would wash the parts. And in the temple, they would wash the parts in the brazen laver. And then the priest would look in themselves and wash the blood off their hands and reflect on their own sin, their internal man, their internal person. That's the brazen laver before they brought it to the brazen altar, which is where they would burn it. But God is working in us inside and out. An offering to the Lord is from the inside out. The inner washing, the inner cleansing of what's happening in us when the Holy Spirit comes in us. He is burning up all the fat, all the stuff, all the flesh, all the things that aren't supposed to be there. Hello. A burnt offering is a big deal. That sounds like Dick Benjamin if you ever knew Dick. It's a big deal. (laughs) And our lives as a fragrant offering should look like a burnt offering. 
from all the way on the inside out. When we make an altar for the Lord and we bring our life to the Lord, we make a commitment to him, he's looking for a burnt offering, an offering of sacrifice that hurts, that we give up our life. Everything that would give us comfort, everything that would make us be okay or protected, we are called to give that all up for the Lord, for him. When he leads us to to give up an offering, it's to give it up. All of it, your life, your security, whatever it happens to be. And it's to look from the inside. God, my motives matter. What's happening on the inside matters. How I give this offering matters. The way I do it matters to the Lord. And in that, God is wanting to burn up all of our flesh. He not only wants us to not use his resources to make idols in our life, but he wants to burn up all the flesh. All the stuff that's around us that we put our trust, our hope in, or that we want, the comforts of our flesh, all those things, the heated steering wheels, all that stuff, we're not to put our trust in that stuff. Come on. She set me up good today. It's all kinds of good little nuggets in there, right? Uh, He who marries a woman finds a good thing. Mm, Especially a good one. Okay. This base, this base. Stay focused here. I start thinking about her too much. I'll get lost. <laughs> when, we, when we look at what it costs to make an offering, guys, it's our life. And this is where we come back to Ephesians 5. I want you to think about this again in this context. Follow God's example. Jesus' example. Follow his example. And walk in the way of love. Just as Christ loved us. Okay, walking in the way of love, guys, is an altar, is a burnt offering for the Lord. Walking in the way of love is a burnt offering for the Lord. We read other passages that says, give up your life or consider others before you consider yourself. Think about them before you. Give up your life for them. Love gives up, surrenders, lets go. Does not give up, isn't rude, it, it isn't easily angered. These are all things that are offerings, burnt offerings to the Lord. It burns up the flesh's desire to sin and do stuff and take care of us and do our thing. And it, it, it exposes the desire and leaves only the desire to worship God with our life. All that's left over is worship to him. After they would get done with the burnt offering, then they would wash their hands in the brazen labor and then they would go into the holy place because their sins are forgiven and they were pure inside and out now, made clean through the forgiveness of sin, through the blood of the lamb that was slain for their sin, so they could go in and worship. But Jesus loved us so much that he gave up his life so that we could live. He became the burnt offering for us. Jesus is the burnt offering. He did it on a cross 2,000 years ago. This isn't a story. This is real life. This is our real life. And it's found in him. And this offering was made one time and for all. Never to have to be made again. When Jesus gave up his life, it mattered. You mattered to him. He thought about you on that cross. And he thought, you are worth it. This altar right now, This pain, this suffering, this dismemberment that I'm experiencing, the blood that I'm spilling out, the burning that I'm experiencing, you are worth it. 
That's how much I love you and want you in my family. That's what Jesus was thinking in his mind, and he said it. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You're worth it. Come on, you're worth it. It's time to let him burn up some stuff, church. We're kicking over idols. Talking about kicking over idols. God breaks all idols, guys. You know what's funny about idols is that your, your altar can become an idol. Your altar, where God met you, if you begin to worship it, it'll become an idol, and God will kick it over. You worship God and him alone. When we come to an altar, we go, God did this here. It was awesome. This building, it's an altar to the Lord. People gave up lives. I mean, Pastor Dick Struts, you're in here somewhere probably, right? There you are. Pastor Dick, I mean, you can think back of, it. One, this is one of our founding apostles, built this church, bled, sweat, tears, him and his family. And Apostle Dick Benjamin, I mean, these guys, it was not easy. I know so many stories, and that's a fraction of the real sacrifice that it was to establish this place as an altar for the Lord. But if we begin to worship it, like all the little parts and pieces of it, you can't change that. That's where Jesus met me. I'm like, what? <laughs> okay. <laughs> don't worship the altar now. I mean, okay. We're going to worship Jesus. This is an altar, a living altar. We're a living altar for the Lord. And we can't get stuck in the past worshiping the thing back there. We can't let our flesh and comforts of what has happened or what we need or we feel like we need in our life get in our way. We have to give that stuff up and worship him and let him burn it up. What does God need to burn up in your life? What idols does he need to kick over in your life? Are there things that God did in your life and instead of maybe it's just worshiping him purely and declaring him for the generations, you're kind of hanging on to that thing like, ah, you know, that happened then. I don't need another one now. No, no, that one's to declare how good God is for how good he will be. And that's a, that's a legacy for generations. It's not an idol to worship. Are you with me? Okay. And what's happening in our lives when we lay our life on the burnt off offering as a burnt offering, God is burning stuff up. What does he want to burn up in your life? Right? What is he burning up in your life? Philippians 3.19 says that they're headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things and they think only about this life here on earth. This is where our world is, guys. And this is so much of where the church has been. And God is calling us out of that junk. Man, he wants to burn this stuff up. Our appetite cannot be for just the things of this life. Our appetite and hunger has to be for the things of the Lord. Romans 12:1. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. You are this living altar. For the Lord, a burnt sacrifice that is holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. It's actually how we worship him. Don't conform any longer to the pattern of this world. Let God burn up the pattern of this world as a burnt offering in your life. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
When we look at God and we see this in Exodus, it goes on in Exodus 20, 26. Do not go up. He tells them more instructions on how to build this altar. I promise you I'd tell you about this. If you read it before and I was like, oh, I should have left that out. It's weird. Um, do not go up to my altar on steps or your private parts may be exposed. That's in the Bible. Okay. <laughs> Seems kind of weird. But I want you to think about that. We're going to go up to offer to the Lord, to give our life up to him. Bible says in Hebrews 4.16, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive mercy and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. Hmm. So when we come in to his holy of holies, we find grace, we find power, we find mercy, not shame. We experience shame, guys, okay? Because we experience how we don't measure up and how awesome God is. And then we experience his mercy and his love. But God never shames us when we come to him. Okay, so, so those are two really important different things about how we experience shame. Shame is like, I'm not enough. Well, yeah, you're not enough. Dear, but with Jesus, you're everything. You're holy. You're righteous. So when you walk in, you're kind of like, dude, I'm not enough. But I'm here. What? I'm flipping here. And God, you made up the difference. And now we see how good God is because we have shame. Those who are shameless are ungodly. They don't understand. Those who are shamed fall into condemnation and think they're not good enough or worthy of God's love. That's toxic. That's what the devil's trying to get you. No, listen, I am not enough, but I am loved and I belong and I matter and I'm here. I'm a part of this. Is my identity is in him. And I see that when I'm with him. And I get that when I come from his altar and all my flesh is exposed and burned up. But when it's burned up, I don't get shamed in it. When I come to him, he says, don't build the steps up where you could experience shame when you're bringing your offering to the Lord. There will be no shaming when you come to me. You're going to come boldly and there'll be no shaming when you show up. Romans 8 says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, there's covering. There's the covering of our shame. Hebrews 12, 1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders this and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He felt joy when he went to the cross for you. He's on the cross and he's going, joy, 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 joy in my suffering, my loss, my pain, my bleeding out because my kids are coming home. My altar is being built in them for all eternity and no one and nothing will ever snuff it out. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. Just think about that. He scorned its shame. And sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Don't grow weary and lose heart, church. It's time to fight. It's time to burn. Let him burn it up and then burn for him.
We're in a season in our church where you can feel it. There's a great purpose that's been rekindled on our church. And the Lord told me, he spoke this to me, and then I got multiple prophetic words. He said, you're going to redig the wells. You're going to redig the apostolic wells in this house. It's going to happen. I'm like, I don't know how to do that. He's like, you don't have to know how to do anything. I'm like, great. Because <laughs> who knows how to do that? But I've grabbed onto that word, and I believe God for it, and people have believed God for it. Generations of still here, because they believe God is going to redig those wells, and a massive apostolic movement is going to take place. Church planting is going to happen again. Our Bible school is thriving, guys. It's phenomenal. It is amazing. The leaders that are being built. Do you know we've led over 300 people to Jesus this year alone? We've lost count. I mean, so many young people getting saved. People getting saved everywhere. And God is going to teach us how to disciple them. That's our next move, right? We hired actually Rick Rogers to own that space. How do we help people? And we have Kristen. These are two pastors now. They're up and coming. Kristen Moser that are pastoring our, our care network. And how do we shepherd and train? And then Pastor Joni is overseeing the foundry and the, the finishing training of how do we take people from salvation or brand new into leadership and sending. And you see the sign, it says, include, equip, launch, repeat, right? So we're going to include people, get them saved, and, and bring them into the family. And we're going to train them and equip them and then launch them. And then we're going to repeat the process and figure out how to do it better and better and better. How do we master that? That's the call on this church. And I believe God wants us to plant churches in this city. They're going to flip this city for Jesus. Does it need it? Yeah. Is the church being effective in our, our city right now? No, we're not very effective, but it's time for us to rise up. God is going to wake up, not just ours, but many churches in our city, and for this time. But it's going to require a burnt offering. That doesn't come free. That comes at a cost. On the cross, joy, joy, joy. Oh, God, because of what I'm burning and what I'm sacrificing and I'm suffering right now for you, people are coming into the kingdom and it's going to come in for generations. Now I'm going to tell you a word the Lord gave me that was really strong. He said, Josh, we're going to reform the church. We're going to restructure the infrastructure of the church. It was, it was what it was needed for the last season and there's a new structure that we need for the new season. Okay? There's a new structure for the new season and it's happening right now. The restructure of the infrastructure of the church is happening right now. It's happening at our church right now. If you listen to a, a prophetic word that Sean Boltz gave, he said that God is sending, and he just, just prophesied this. This is happening in our church. God is sending properties. God is sending, releasing resources. There are contracts being signed over, deeds being signed over, land being returned. And God's favor and blessing, checks that are being written, God's favor and blessing is on this house in this hour to do this very thing. And it's not a word for future. It's what's going to happen in an explosive way in the future, but it's a word that's happening now, and you and I get to be a part of that. But we have to become burnt offerings. We, we, we have to shift the way we live. We can't be private anymore. We can't be combative. We have to be loving. And the love that needs to happen is one soul at a time, one disciple at a time. And we have to build this spiritual house. This facility is an altar for God as well. 
the people we employ and that we are, 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 are empowering to do ministry and minister and build what we're talking about. It doesn't happen when no one works. Hello? Right? It happens when we all work together and we each do our part. For some of us, they're the ministers that are front lines actually shepherding and discipling and training leaders to do that. Others are running businesses and doing ministry and giving and sowing generously to make that happen. We're all a part of that. Others are doing mission work out in the community. And that's equally as important as ministry that happens that is being generated directly through our congregation. Are you with me? But all of this is an offering and a sacrifice. It's a burnt offering. And God is calling our church to, to sow an offering of our life. This is 2023. We're going to give up. And we're going to go up. Like it's happening. But right now, I just want you guys to hear this. Our church is like really up against the financial wall. I'm not preaching this message for this, but I'm telling you, I, I wasn't even going to say anything about this. And the Lord was like, you know what? We have to do this together. And we have bought a team, a church team, a, a, a staff that is building all the things we're talking about. And it's more than we can afford. And the Lord told me earlier this year, he was like, Josh, get out of my way. Let me build my team. I'm like, we can't afford the team you want to build, Lord. I don't like doing this. And the Lord's like, get out of my way. Do not think about the resources. I'm in charge of resources. This is a challenge for my faith because I like to plan stuff, right? Who doesn't like, we all like to be secure and all that. But right now, we're on a two-week, like, space where our church needs to sow. We need to sow big in faith to establish this church, this team, what we're doing, what we've built, protect it, and cause it to be launched into the future because of its very important apostolic destiny. So I'm challenging you, church. This is what I know the Lord wants us to do, is to think in our heart in every single way, how is God wanting to take each of your lives, my life, and put it on the altar and burn up all the fat. These are all the things I was thinking about doing, wanting to do, whatever. Well, instead, you know what? I'm going to run a care group. You know what? I'm going to become a care leader. I'm going to shepherd and pastor all these brand new people getting saved. Who's going to do that? Come on. You know, instead of that, I'm going to serve and I'm going to bless young kids. I'm going to bless youth and children. I'm going to serve out in my community, whatever that happens to be. I'm going to serve the homeless. I'm going to do something. I'm going to, I'm going to sow. I'm going to give an offering instead of buy an RV. I'm going to give an offering instead of going to Mexico, okay? I'm going to sow a, some kind of offering above and beyond my tithe. I'm going to tithe. Listen, if our church tithed, if 80% if of our church tithed, we'd have more than we need for the staff and all the things that we're building right now. And we're like, next is we go fill the worship center and all that's ready for the future. But we can't get there until we do this first. We have to sow into our church, not just buildings and stuff, right? We have to sow into the people. The people is who God told us to build right now. We're building the people. The, the building's going to come if you build the people. That was the word of the Lord. We need to sow into the people, the youth, the kids. And so I'm asking you between now and the end of the year that you pray and you ask God, and the Bible tells us to do this, is that we ask him what we ought to give. And I'm talking about signing up for something and giving money. When we do this, God's favor falls on us. And if you haven't been tithing, 
You're, you're robbing God, is what Malachi says. And the blessings of God are not on your life. And that means the blessings of God is not collectively all the way on our church. We haven't completed the unity of blessing. If a church entirely, all the committed members tithe, can you imagine the blessing that would happen on that church? It's mind-boggling. Because it's not just, oh, the, the math of every people, we start adding that up. There's an exponential favor that I believe is possible. A multiplication that happens in our personal lives when we tithe and give offerings. But then there's a collective one that I'm not, I don't know if anybody's done it. I don't know. But how about we try it? How cool would that be? Come on. God wants to do something amazing here. And there are souls and souls and souls that are thousands of them that need to get saved in this city. And he wants to use us to do it. And we're gonna be a factory of discipleship for that. It's happening. That is in place, guys. All it takes is us coming around it and building on it and feeding it with brand new people. Man, we need to start inviting people that don't know Jesus more and more and more into our family and watch them get saved. I promise you, we will preach the gospel every time we show up here. They will get a chance. You notice we do that, right? Okay. And that's why, that's why we know at least 300 people have gotten saved this year. It's probably more. What are you willing to give up? Seek the Lord so big, write generously. The Lord told me there's checks already written. God's already given numbers out to people of what he's calling you to give. And God has said he's gonna challenge his people to give generously in this season. So let's do it. Let's go. God is gonna do something awesome. He wants to use us, but it costs. It costs us something. Amen? Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this message, please connect with us at unitechurchak.org. We hope to see you soon.